0: Hey there, and welcome to The Craftish Podcast, episode 38, I'm Vicki Howell. Recently, I spoke with New York Times bestselling author of You Are a Badass, Jen Sincero. and She's in the middle of a whirlwind book tour right now for her latest book, You Are a Badass at Making Money, and this includes live appearances, major publication interviews, and even an appearance on Dr. Oz. So I was pretty dang thrilled that she made time to be on this podcast. And I have to say that the timing of it could not have been more perfect. Um, Sometimes the universe just gives you these little gifts. And if you're open to receive them, then they land in your lap. And uh, her book, uh, the latest book, Uh, You're a Badass at Making Money, landed in my lap about a week and a half into a Kickstarter campaign that I um, to fund the first studio-quality, crowdfunded, internationally accessible knitting and crochet episodic series, which is, I know, a big mouthful, but we've all got our dreams, and I'm happy to say that uh, mine is now a reality. And I would not be being honest and truthful if I said anything but reading this book gave me a like a swift kick in the attitude pants when I was kind of down the first you know running a crowdfunding campaign is really grueling and um you can go about it mentally in one of two ways and I had gotten to sort of a darker space and there were some things that really resonated with me in this book and I switched my attitude and became more open and and confident and and applied some of the suggestions that are made in this and You know, I'm telling you, the flow, the flow started flowing after that. And so um, for for what it's worth, I really got something out of this book and I went into it not expecting to and not for any weird you know that that sounded kind of condescending or whatever I just you know I, I went into it to actually you know research for this interview and that was really it and I'm thrilled to to report that ending uh, our campaign ended at 110% so we raised about seven grand more than um, than we had planned. So. All that to say, and that was a total side note, um, I'm really excited for you to sort of soak up some of this knowledge. So Jen and I talked about her road from struggling writer and musician to life guru. We talked about the role that gratitude can play in success, why we as creative types are so reticent to embrace an openness to mastering wealth, and how universal intelligence provides all we need to know about flourishing to our fullest extent. I found Jen to be a candid, straight shooter with a wealth of knowledge and life experience under her belt, for which she doles out little tidbits generously. Buckle up, listeners! There's a lot of bad assery in this episode. Jen Sincero, thank you so much for coming on Craftish. Thank you so much for having me. We spent a lot of time on this particular podcast talking about, you know, creative journeys, and and as part of that you know, crafters not feeling licensed to call themselves artists, artists feeling uncomfortable with the term crafters, both groups being uncomfortable with the term entrepreneurs. But (laughs) but what we haven't really focused on is how many in the just creative realm don't, aren't comfortable at all with the term moneymaker. And I I wonder if we could start there with that, since you are a writer, we're a rock star, (laughs) are a rock star, but a musician, um, a knitter. Will you talk a little <laughs> bit about the tug and pull between the sort of like esoteric, like mindset of being an artist or a creative type and, you know, the reality of being a financial success?
1: Such a great question. And, and it's such an unnecessary tug of war. You know, it, I, I feel like it actually happens all across the board with money because we've criminalized the making of money Hmm. and it's a very either or kind of thing. Like you're either a good person or you're a person who's focused on money. Um, you're either altruistic or you're a person who's focused on money or either an artist or you're someone who's focused on money. It's like never shall the two meet, um, and I think it is so destructive. It really is a very deep underlying cause of a lot of brokenness in the world. And especially with artists, it's seen as you somehow lose your credibility. You, um, you know, you're a sellout if you make money. Meanwhile, artists need money to thrive, not just to survive. I mean, beyond the tools you need to to do your craft, you, you need it to live a happy and full and productive life. So Uh, it's very important to look at your own beliefs around that and untangle yourself from them, because, you know, you got one shot at this life as you as an artist and to be the biggest, most beautiful expression of yourself. You need money.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think also something key that you said there is that Artists also need money to truly help support other artists rise. Like we are a creative rising tide and we can say, Oh, love and support. And that is true. But if we can also take out an ad in somebody's, you know, magazine or, you know, fly somebody in for an interview or whatever it is, like that's, that's an amazing feeling. Like that is sort of like the creative, creativity ebb and flow at its finest.
1: Absolutely. And I I think that there's some sort of guilt beyond just surviving, you know, just keeping the lights on and keeping a roof over your head and food. You know, you're not allowed to have more. And it's not criminal. We, you know, nature, everything in nature uses all the resources it needs to thrive. And we're meant to as well. You know, it's not about raping and pillaging the earth or. You know, doing horrible things for money, but that seems to be where our minds instantly go.
0: <laughs> Do you think, as women, on top of being creatives, that that just adds a whole other layer of, of like distance between our mentality, our positive mentality about money? Hell
1: yes. Yeah. Talk about yeah, that. A bit. You know, um, men are raised are raised to be the breadwinners and success oriented, and it's a very masculine, you know, quote unquote, masculine trait. Um, and women are raised to be pretty and young and not make waves. And it's not ladylike to be aggressive. I mean, God forbid you take a stand or have an opinion. There's all sorts of lovely words that go along with women who are like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so absolutely. Uh, I think it is hardwired in us not to, to go for it in that way. And so that, you know, it's hardwired, but it's a it's like anything else. Once you wake up and become aware that you're buying into something that's complete crap, you can turn it around. Well, let's talk
0: a little bit about that reprogramming then. A big portion of your book, You're a Badass at Making Money, focuses on that re-envisioning of how you approach money. And through that, you have many, many mantras. And as a woman and creative type and entrepreneur, I still had a really like hard time getting over the, for lack of a better term, ick factor, of saying things like, "I love money. Money mm-hmm. loves me. I love money because it's always there for me," without feeling like, "God, I'm an a-hole." Like, you know, yeah. which, and but then the the knowledge of knowing that that was even a feeling.
1: Mm-hmm
0: is also a really interesting journey. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of these kinds of mantras and the repetition of these statements in your daily life?
1: Yeah, I mean it's exactly what you said when it when it pull when you take the time to say stuff like that and you notice that you have an ick factor around it, that is such valuable information. Because then, you know, we're so, we go through so much of life on autopilot. We don't really question our beliefs and our feelings about stuff. And when it comes to money, it's such a loaded topic. And we have so many conflicting feelings and beliefs around it that if you don't take the time to wake up to what's going on with you, then you never get out of that autopilot. So by saying something as icky as I love money (laughs) and then looking at, you know, why does that make me throw up in my mouth? You know, what's going on with that? What is wrong, quote unquote, wrong with money? Yeah. Um, You know, most of
0: us have been raised to, to say like, oh, it's not about the money or money doesn't buy happiness or money, you
1: know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so when you, and we have been raised that way. And so when you look at it and be like, why am I buying into the fact that money doesn't buy happiness? What does money buy? Oh, money buys me the ability to travel. Money buys me the ability to give to causes that are really important to me. Money gives me the ability to buy the, the tools I need to create my art. Does that make me happy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, of course, like hanging out with people and love and all those things are important too, but money does buy happiness as well. It contributes to happiness. Let's put it that way.
0: And arguably so, hanging out with people and loving them with a really nice bottle of wine and possibly on a beach love. is even better.
1: Hello, yes.
0: So, and then you feel more confident and open. And like yeah. once once that love has entered your life, then the openness, which then leads directly to creativity, which then circles back to openness, which means that you'll be able to listen to people's conversations and ideas and then broaden your own. It's just, yeah. it builds on it. Yep. I think one of the the sort of philosophies that helped me sort of get past that barrier, the initial barrier that was there when I read that, that first mantra, the, the I love money, it loves me mantra, um, was when you explained something that I think many of us, especially women can, can vibe with, um, it's, it's, you know, that we're all energetic beings, that creativity is energy, we are energy, life is energy. But it had never occurred to me that money, that currency was energy. And that once that shift took place, it felt a little bit more authentic to go after it. Will you talk about money as energy a bit?
1: So... It really is a, an exchange, an exchange of energy. And I, I really grasped this when I was raising my prices as a coach, because I was terrified to charge too much. You know, who was I? I was being mean to other people by charging basically what I was worth for my services. And I, when I finally wrapped my mind around the energy behind lowering my prices and shrinking to accommodate what I believe somebody could or could not afford. Mm, Caretaking. Caretaking. Mm -hmm. I brought all of us down to a different frequency. It was basically like saying, I'm not worth it. And I don't think you could ever make the kind of money to work with me because you're a big fat loser or whatever.
0: Yeah. And if you're putting that out there, then it comes back to you. And then
1: everybody shows up in a much smaller way. Right. When I stood in my power and was like, bitches, I'm rocking this. Let's, let's roll. This is what I charge. Come. It was like, I was. it's contagious, extending an outstretched hand to pull them up and challenge themselves to meet me at that level. It's a totally different frequency.
0: I want to talk frequencies in a second, but one of the exercises that you, um, that you suggest in your book to sort of kind of figure out like where that, you know, aforementioned ick factor comes in is to write a letter to money. And admittedly, I don't, I don't normally, I don't normally do these kind of exercises. Like I tried to do the artist's way back in the day and I was just like, oh, you know, but there was something about that probably because where I am, I'm at the home stretch of a really important campaign for me. And I really did need a shift of consciousness because I found that my like double Scorpioness was really like, Bringing me down, and so I was like, "Okay, I'm in. I'll do it." And um, it's really interesting once you start putting into words your th- your thoughts about money because I don't know that we think about money except for that we need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I, you know, for me, I realized that it that I it had always been seen as an obstacle in my life, like something that I needed to get around or over. Or avoid. It, I needed it and I was chasing it. Like, it, it, there was never a positive aspect to it. And there's a whole other long thing that I won't get into. But I think it's such an important exercise, especially for us as women, because that's not, that's not a conversation. It's also an important thing for us to talk about with our daughters, our, sons, our sons, too. But those are not the yeah. conversations necessarily that we had with our own moms growing up. Like, how do you feel about money? Like, what do you right. think that you're worth? And I think it's a really great exercise.
1: And it really helps you see just how zany it is. Like everybody's got such a push pull going on with it and we use it every single day of our lives and to make it so criminalized and not okay. And an obstacle and something bad and dirty and annoying. It's no wonder we have such struggles around it. You know, it's you're having a relationship with money. And so it's like any other relationship in your life. If you talked about the person you hung out with the most, the way that you talk about and feel about money, that would not be a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm.
0: There was a shift, and maybe it was just for me, but it seemed there was a shift in tone in your book when you started t- chapter two A, which I love that you <laughs> you were just like, "I'm going to slide this in because it's a little more it's a little more out there than the rest of it." Um, but there seemed to be a change in tone of your voice on how you spoke to the reader. Um, and you know, I may be completely off on this, but it almost seems like there was a little bit of like foreplay where you're talking to someone. Did you ever see the movie bridesmaids? I did. So like at first kind of talking to like a Kristen Wig kind of character who is just like self-destructive and just like down on her, you know, like just like get it together, lady. And then mm-hmm. there's a shift when you when you slide in this mini chapter, like you just slide it in. that gives you the tools. And then it was almost like, OK, like we did this. Now it's on. Will you talk a little bit about the term universal intelligence by starting, if you wouldn't mind, I would love if you would read um, the first little bit of a tiny but mighty chapter about universal intelligence.
1: Sure. And you just cut me off. Give me the hook when it's time to go. Oh gosh. Okay. I don't have my readers with me. That was a, I think I can do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There is no lack of opinions and theories when it comes to the universal intelligence that created and continues to create all that exists. Some people call this almighty power God. Some call it spirit. Some call it a load of crap. If you're one of those people who happen to be skeptical about buying into such woo-hooery and you desire to get rich, I strongly suggest you put your grouchiness aside and agree to take some new beliefs for a spin. Because not only could you very possibly see gigantic results by partying down with universal intelligence, but I'm telling you, whether you like it or not, you already sort of believe in it. You believe in something somewhere. Whether it's fate or luck or divine intervention, you've knocked on wood before. You've said a prayer when your team's about to lose or you suddenly notice blue and red flashing lights in your rearview mirror. You've thanked someone named God before or stuck an oh my before his name while watching a video of an old lady jump over a pile of her grandkids on a skateboard. You've gotten a magically knowing hint from somewhere. I don't know what made me think to stop off at mom's house on the way home, but if I hadn't, she'd still be lying on the floor. You've caught a glimpse that there might be something out there that you can't totally wrap your head around that is participating in our lives with us. You felt it tickle the hairs along the back of your neck. Even if it's just the tiniest smidgen of recognition, you've said howdy to universal intelligence.
0: Yeah. So I think that—can um, we talk about the term universal intelligence? I think it's something that we all sort of spiritually or just inherently just as, you know, in our DNA know of this, this essence, but maybe haven't heard the term— can you talk about the term a little bit?
1: Sure. It's, it's my favorite term for whatever it is that created all that is because I love the intelligence part Mm. that it's a thinking substance that, I mean, seriously, look at our bodies. The fact that you can just bend your finger on command is a freaking miracle. (laughs) Okay. And like the fact that, a seed, you know, things that grow out of teeny tiny seeds and that birds can fly halfway around the world and mate in the same places or whatever. Like it's smart. Mm, The way the universe runs is brilliant and it's a fine tuned machine, you know, until humans get in there and, you know, with our thinking brains and, um, analytical and, you know, fear and doubt and greed and worry go in and kind of mess things up it runs very smoothly. So that's knowing, being aware of that and just the way the planets revolve. I mean, it's, it'll, it's mind boggling. So knowing that that there is an intelligence out there and that our minds are part of that intelligence and is the same as that intelligence kicks your ass out of your mm. comfort zone. And, you know, I can't because, yacht, you know, the big boo-hoo that's going on in your life that you feel victimized about. You are universal intelligence. You know, that I find to be the biggest spanking I've ever gotten when I really clicked into that understanding.
0: Yeah, just getting out of yourself
1: for yeah. a little bit. We, yeah. How does universal
0: intelligent, intelligence apply to making money?
1: Because once you tap into your desire, which was, which is part of universal intelligence, that is a force that is in you just like the tree desires to grow. And, you know, the emperor penguin desires to hatch its egg that it has to walk, you know, 6,000 miles with no legs to hatch. You know, there's strong desires in all of nature, um, which is part of universal intelligence. And, Because you desire to grow, and if you're an artist, you desire to create, Um, and because you're a human on earth and money is a tool that you need to create, when you tap into the universal intelligence of your desires and the understanding that money is absolutely necessary for you to flourish, it helps you get out of your own way about, I can't do it. It's not available for me. Um, It's never going to happen. The universe provides everything you need to, to grow and flourish. That's the way it works. That is the whole point of it. When you don't flourish, it's because you are in your own way.
0: Hmm. Where does gratitude come in when we're talking about universal intelligence?
1: Um, gratitude is, you know, because we're talking, because it's an energetic world that we live in and money's an energetic, when you get into gratitude about everything, including your debt, including your successes, including the money that isn't sitting in front of you at the moment, but that is on its way, you raise your frequency and open yourself up to receiving what you desire. So, um, it's, you know, we're emotional creatures also So when you get into a state of gratitude, what that also does is it makes you emotional, right? Like when you're Mm -hmm. super duper grateful, you're like practically crying. We act out of emotion. We do not act out of intelligence half the time. (laughs) You know, It's like how many things have you done that you know are totally stupid but you're really passionate about so you do them anyway? So if you can get yourself worked up into a lather about making money and the money that's coming to you and, you know, thank you debt because – I needed money, and and that, and I, and it was there for me, and that's why I have debt now. As opposed to being like, damn, I've got all this debt. Mm-hmm. Lowering your frequency, you know, it it shifts everything. Gratitude is truly one of the most powerful emotions we can feel. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting how powerful that just that shift um, mm-hmm. is from going for you know, just speaking from personal experience, from going from that like heart, like just wrenching, soul crushing fear of how this money's going to happen. To the mm-hmm. hell yeah, I'm getting up and I'm going to bring in this much today. Like this is awesome that I'm getting to do this and this is going to happen and and truly like feeling it. It's amazing mm-hmm. how it makes that flow actually flow.
1: Well, it's honestly the most important part because two people doing the exact same thing every day, one with a crappy attitude and one with the attitude you just described are going to have very different results because eventually you're going to get to a point where you have to take some freaking scary ass leap into the unknown and take a risk and, you know, hire somebody or raise your rates or, um, you know, Reach out to somebody that you're scared to call. And if you're all full of, it's not going to happen. This is hard. I hate it. You're not going to do it. So your actions are based on your attitude. And if you've got an awesome attitude, even if you keep falling flat on your face, you'll get back up and keep going and push yourself. And if you don't, you will find all the excuses in the world to not move forward. You say,
0: if you want to change your life, you must be more available for the ridiculous than you are reality. What is your ridiculous, then?
1: Well, my ridiculous, my first big ridiculous one was paying somebody a quarter of my annual income to coach me back in the day when I was living in a converted garage and was already in debt. But I was available for the possibility that somebody like me, who had spent over 40 years proving that I could not make money, could not only pay off my debt and make that extra $7,000 back and then go on and get rich. So, you know, I had a lifetime of proof that that was not going to happen for me. And I decided to believe that, hell yes, I was going to get rich instead of stay and struggle the way I was.
0: Was there, what was the genesis of that shift or that Decision shift because that's that's you know that's well into that's a lot of experience of not doing something.
1: I know, you know. I I mean, that's good at being
0: broke. No, but I mean, that's really that's 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 impressive. What struck me is that you know you tell a lot of self deprecating stories about yourself, but what's what's really interesting to me is that unlike many people who go into the zone of like suckage, you seem to always have a glimmer of. I got to figure out this code. Like, I got to get this, like, I'm going to, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, on a reservation somewhere. I don't know if I'm going to be rubbing crystals. I don't know if I'm going to get, you know, another degree. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to try it and I'm going to do it and it's going to be random. Where Where did that come from? Did you grow up with that kind of curiosity, with that kind of sort of gumption?
1: I really don't know where that came from, and you know, and it comes in waves because certainly for forty years, I didn't have that around money i I had it around being in my bands, I had it around writing, I had it around traveling. I was pretty adventurous always, and I think for me, I desire you know this now that I'm thinking about it, I think I am hardwired to really enjoy variety and excitement and adventure. I'm just that kind of person, so I think that definitely lit a fire under my butt to figure things out. And, but for some reason with money, man, it was just until my forties that I sat down and made that decision. Like, okay, I am done being in struggle around this. Um, you know, and, and I think for me that decision just it's like any other aha moment. We have them all the time, right? You've heard the same thing over and over and over. And for some reason, all of a sudden, a light goes on and you understand something in a way you've never understood it before. Yeah. And for me, the decision to make money, I think, happened like that where I didn't know and I was struggling and I was you know, half-assing things and trying this kind of and feeling just so lost. And then all of a sudden, I just woke up and was like, I am done and I am figuring this the hell out.
0: So you must have had—I mean, either you know, unconsciously or consciously—there must have been something that at least opened up part of you to be able to receive that information.
1: How do aha moments work? Yeah. I think you was it know, around forty-two? Were you
0: forty-two by any chance?
1: Because isn't what? that
0: the isn't that the magic age forty-two? Isn't that the magic, like the answer to life, like the universe and everything? Isn't that what they say?
1: I don't know, but I think I was forty-two. Uh-huh. That's really interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, ego is a big part of our roadblocks, not just as creative people, I think just as people uh, when it comes to money. And there's a great story in in the book about a woman who's a creative director and decides to take that big leap, that big risk, but to do so, it means that, you know, because she still has to, you know, pay for things. It means that she has to go to, she has to become a bartender and not only a bartender, but a bartender, at the bar across the street from the place where she used to work, meaning that she's serving like, you know, crappy Jaeger bombs to interns that used to answer to her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That right there is, that was like another cringeworthy moment for me because I don't know. Talk a little bit about ego as a block and about what what stepping away from it can open up to?
1: You know, before I get into that, which is a great question. It, just with that example you gave, that's that's what the decision will do for you. When you've decided that you're going to make money, it doesn't matter what happened. Like it, taking a bartending job, it doesn't even matter. You're only focused on. I'm becoming an entrepreneur now. I'm creating my own branding firm. So I got a bartend. I'm not even spending time worrying about serving those yaker mire shots because I am on a mission. So all that stuff that you'd get tangled up in and judgy-wudgy and worried about, you you are only focused on your decision. Mm. So that's how powerful that is. And the ego is basically the excuses and the drama and the reasons why not. And the powerful side of yourself and the universal intelligence is that desire seeking expression through you. So it, it really is, that's why we say getting out of your own way. That desire is in you. It's a freight train and you get into your own way with your ego and your fears and your wood, shoulds and coulds and all that crap. When you, just out of curiosity, did your
0: writer self differ in the, um, accepting of money than your musician self? I say, well, I my musician
1: that. self never made any money, <laughs> but what's your,
0: <laughs> well, but that's, that's, what you know, it's, it's not as punk rock <laughs> to like, quote unquote, sell out and like make oh. that album for the you know, mm. for that big record label versus just doing your own thing. But it's also not all that punk rock. Like you can't pay the mortgage with street cred. However, writers aren't necessarily the expectation, the social expectation of writers isn't to be punk rock. Like, So I mm. wonder if you as a creative person felt a different struggle or or lack thereof when you were in – you know, when you were in the shoes of one of those sides of your creative self? Huh.
1: You know, honestly, consciously, there was no difference. Like, I would have taken any money I could have got my hands on for either one happily. Um, but subconsciously, I obviously had another story going on because I never made money as either for a very long time.
0: Yeah. We often... Um spend a lot of time worrying, worrying that we can't pay the bills, worrying that we're not good enough, worrying that we're not, you know, talented enough. And one of the, the many sort of like pull quotes in your book says, worrying is praying for stuff you don't want. <laughs> and it's like, there's, there's just a lot of power in that. And, you know, I'm like religion and I don't necessarily mix, but I, I believe that focusing, like if you you can call it prayer, you can call it vibes, you can call it pushing out energy, like focusing, that much focus on something has power. So putting it in the, putting, you know, sort of flipping the table on it and saying that you're giving it power by putting that energy on it, I think it's a huge motivator to, to, you know, stop doing that.
1: Mm. Well, and it's such a great example because it's got all... All the details that go into visualizing and creating reality. So it's got specificity. When you're worried, you're very specific about what you're worried about. It's got a hell of a lot of emotion, which is which is the the, the gasoline that drives the bus of creation. It's got repetition. It's you know it's it's got language around it. It's got belief around it. I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> When it comes to creating, so it's, and it's, and it's also very, um, accepted in our culture. That's another one. It's like, it's accepted to think money is dirty and bad. And it's accepted that worrying makes more sense and is more valuable than being quote unquote reckless and irresponsible and going for it, which really pisses me off.
0: But those words, reckless and irresponsible, Right there are probably great examples of like, you know, putting yourself at that lower frequency, right? Versus absolutely, like
1: you, you, you know, I that, say them with quotes around them. No, no, no. I know you are. No, I know <laughs> mm-hmm. you are,
0: but you talk a lot about, and we just, you know, we mentioned the cro- quote about the ridiculousness before mm-hmm.
1: right. about,
0: about risks and, and you make the point that just being alive is risky. So if you can kind of just like grab a grip, um, then there's forward movement to be had. Mm-hmm. What did you do to make money before you made money?
1: Uh, I was a freelance writer, and i um you know writing is actually very difficult for me and takes me it's just it's kind of a struggle. So it was, it was not that fun and it was definitely not that lucrative and it took me a long time to do the jobs that I did get. So, you know, when I figured out my hourly rate, it was, you know, like a dollar an hour that I was working for. And then I was spending all my other time hustling for work. And then I, you know, tried to knit things and sell those. I mean, my, my plan for getting rich was super rickety because I refused to really look at What's my income stream? What's my you know? What am I making? Does this make sense? Instead of looking at that, I just worked harder. Yeah, and prayed that I was somehow going to make more money, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's that
0: working harder versus working smarter thing, mm-hmm. and I think that's where a lot of you know artisans get caught up. You know, you you, you mentioned you know knitting something to, to make money, and that um, that is 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 impossible. <laughs> you know, I, because I, because it it takes it takes you know. Eight ever. to 10 hours to make a hat if you're using a chunkier weight. Like if you yep. break that down to an hourly and then add in supplies, it, it's not, unless you get a really lucrative deal with, you know, Barney's, yep. you're not going to make that money back.
1: And um, And so many artists refuse to look at income stream and refuse to see how they could monetize their products and services and just get mad that they can't make any money. It's like, you got to wake up and treat money like it's just as important as the art. If that's how you want to make your money. If you don't want to, if it's a hobby, that's a different story. But if you've decided this is how you want to make money, you got to bring money into the equation. You can't just hope it's going to show up.
0: (laughs) Well, and part of that you say is knowing how much and being focused, which is not something I think, you know, a lot of us who have had issues with money over our lives like like it's really, really easy to just kind of ignore the numbers just say like oh yes i'd like more or mm-hmm. i'd like to be able to pay my rent but you you really emphasize the importance of to to about being clear on the value of the product or the service you're offering and being grateful and excited instead of apologetic and weird and being open about receiving money for it but not just that knowing exactly how much you want. Why, why
1: is knowing that number important? Because it's about emotion. So if you say, I'd love a million dollars, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. If you're like, I am going to make $125,000 more this year because I'm going to go study in France, um, going to go study painting in France, and that costs X amount of dollars. I'm going to donate $10,000 to this cause. Cause it's so important to me. I'm going to, you know, when you break it down and you look at it, that's what has meaning. Money has no meaning mm. because right. It's what you spend it on that has meaning and emotion comes from meaning and give it meaning. If you're going to, because, You are going to have to do things you've never done before, and you are going to have to stretch yourself, and you're going to have to be scared and take risks if you want to get out of the financial reality you're currently in and make it a bigger, bolder, more exciting one. When that, we call it the terror barrier, when you're facing the terror barrier, if you don't have those specifics in place to give you that mojo to keep going, you're going to quit and come up with excuses why it's not going to work.
0: It sounds like it's almost like being emotionally unavailable in a relationship. Like it can only
1: go so far. Totally. And that's such a good point. And, you know, it's a really interesting exercise. After you write your letter to money and do a stream of consciousness, like really what comes up? I, I love you. I wish I had more of you. You make me feel dirty. I don't trust you, yada, yada. Pretend that you're writing it in a love relationship to somebody. And it's often very many of the same issues. Yeah,
0: yeah, it really is, and and also, you know, to use that same analogy, it's almost like if you are in a loving relationship, but you are you just can't get the word, uh, the words "I love you" out of your mouth, Mm -hmm. because it's that would be the last latch on your Mm -hmm. heart or or your soul or whatever it is, and what if that opens and everything falls out? Mm -hmm. Instead of seeing it, instead of seeing if you can kind of shift that conscious to. I love money, or I love the, I love the financial freedom that money will give me to live out my dreams. Instead of everything falling out, it almost, it sounds like what it'll do is let everything flow out, which is different.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's kind of exciting, right? <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, Jen,
1: but. I... <laughs> But see how he's so that thing is all it to do is shift how you're looking at it and it's a totally different world.
0: Yeah, it's totally it's different. So what has been the most exciting part of this adventure for you, your creative genius for a uh, journey rather from, you know, your bestseller, uh, you're a badass, and now you know this book. Obviously, your your life, at least from an, an outsider's perspective, has changed. Extraordinarily over the past five, ten years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What has been the most exciting part of this shift for you?
1: Oh, there's been so many exciting things, but I have to say I don't know who wins first place, but there's, you know, the creative the the feeling that my voice has been received and Re, you know, and that it resonates with so many people as a writer that is so exciting and to, and to really feel like it really is my voice. Um, and, um, it's, I'll tell you, it's really exciting and it's really weird yeah, it <laughs> because, best. you know, everybody feels like they're, we're BFFs because I'm so, you know, accessible or whatever and they just real relate to it so much So that's a really weird feeling. It's awesome. And it's what do you I'm have going to
0: do. The- do you set boundaries? Yeah,
1: yeah I do. Did you and, have to train that,
0: yourself to do that? That's
1: absolutely. hard. I used to answer every single fan letter I got because I was like, these people are so amazing. Yeah. Like they're taking the time to write me. How can I be a jerk and not write them back? And they're so appreciative. And then and then I was like, you know what? I don't have to do that. I've already given them something by yeah. writing the book. And that's it's a big, you know, it really there's so much growth that goes on all the time. You know, they say new level, new devil. So there's so much to learn and to overcome and to grow up around. So Well, and you're
0: reaffirming your value that you have given, you have given. And the other thing, I mean, the other thing that I can, that, you know, I've personally experienced and I I can see how this possibly could relate to you is that all of that energy that you're getting back from the people, like the feeling of that resonance does in fact... I assume feed you so that you can then create more.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely more fun to create when you know you've got an audience, (laughs) you know, it's, and, and I used to create in a vacuum all the time. I mean, I, I was an artist and a musician for years and, you know, wasn't nearly as successful and it was still fun like that is still 100% worthwhile i had a blast doing it um, but it's like now it's like we're a team it's like the badass the badass peeps and me are mm-hmm. sort of in it together and it's like a con- it's more of a conversation than a monologue like it was in the old days
0: yeah you've got like a like a glass badassery of like, like fans
1: around you i
0: mean you know you know you've created like your own army
1: of badasses yeah. That's awesome. And they're such great people. My God, they're awesome. So, you know, and that's the one thing that I really realized is that when you have the audacity to speak in your voice and say, and especially to say the scary, risky things that you want to say in whatever art you're making, that's where you really connect with people. Like I could have glossed over a lot of stuff in my book and not gone where I went sometimes. And there were definitely times where it was terrifying. Like, am I really going to share that, you know, I took a bunch of acid in college and, you know, is that going to ruin my cred as a coach? And, you know, but I don't know. I mean, that's just one example, but it makes you human and it makes you fallible and it makes you, and even admitting to your successes is scary. So being brave to, to put it all out there with the caveat that you're allowed to have a private life as well. Like, I don't think you have to share everything, but if, if it feels like something you want to do and it feels scary, I think that's such a great hit that you're in the, doing something right, because that's what draws people to you is authenticity.
0: Yeah. So just, you know, feel grateful for that fear because that means that you
1: care. Yeah.
0: Well, Jen, thank you so much for taking the time. I know your tour schedule is crazy. Um, I really I appreciate you coming on this podcast. Um, you know, you're us.
1: So are you. Thank you so much for having me on. This was awesome. Thank you.
0: For more information on Jen Sincero and for a chance to win one of two copies of You Are a Badass at Making Money, go to her show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. All you need to do is post a comment with your favorite money positive mantra for your creative business and life. All commenters will be entered to win. And those comments just need to be posted by 10 p.m. Central on April 26th. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend and or post a rating or review on iTunes. Remember, word of mouth is everything with podcasts. And don't forget that there are 35 plus previous episodes featuring a range of creative types. So check out the full list at vickiehowell.com and pick your inspirational poison. Craftish is a Campbell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by explosions in the sky we had a little scheduling switcheroonie this time so it's actually next episode that craft activist Betsy Greer will be on the show and that will be next Thursday until then please take some time to be creative focus on your mantras and breathe in craft out